It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here. Rolling on for the next two hours as we go till 11 a.m. Eastern. And we appreciate you starting your morning with us, starting your week with us, and what has been about to enter the final day of week number nine in the NFL. Finishing up and wrapping up a week number 10 in college football. This weekend can be boiled down to as simple as this in sports. Survive and advance. A ton of upsets. A lot of teams that we thought at the top were invincible go down. A lot of surprise wins. And like I said, if your team came out victorious today or this past weekend, I should say, congratulations, you survived, you made it. Wow, what a wacky week. We have so much to break down here for you. Titans take down the Rams. We'll get to that here in a second. We have, to me, the most one of the most impressive wins of all of the NFL season came, uh, came to light yesterday. Also, with that said, one of the most disappointing losses. On the flip side, I thought also happened yesterday, college football. We got some winners, and we got some losers. Wow. More chaos. It's always those weekends in college football that, oh, okay, the slate doesn't really look great. Not many ranked-on-ranked matchups. But that's always when chaos sneaks its way in and wreaks havoc on the on team's playoff hopes and the rankings as well. So we got a ton to get to here. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. And whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Sunday night football last night. I have to offer a mea culpa. I was wrong about the Tennessee Titans. And I was wrong about the Tennessee Titans for a lot of things. Coming into the year, I did not think they were the favorites to win the AFC South, although the Colts were. I did not even think, to be honest here, hand up, the Titans were even going to make the playoffs. I thought this was a flawed team, a flawed roster built upon one, or built around, I should say, one player, Derrick Henry. And in 2021, when you are still trying to run the ball and run the ball a ton as Tennessee does, I did not think that was sustainable enough to be able to win multiple games to get you in the playoffs, let alone win the division. Obviously, through nine weeks of the NFL season, I could not have been more wrong about the Titans. So what I'm going to say here, to me, is shocking. The Tennessee Titans are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Sitting here today, that's with the loss of their best player in Derrick Henry, the most important player this team has built around. But the fact that the Tennessee Titans... To me, it, the fact that they're Super Bowl contenders is surprising in one aspect. But also, the fact that they're Super Bowl contenders to me is even more surprising than the fact that you look at it, the main reason being not Derrick Henry, not Ryan Tannehill, not the addition of Julio Jones pairing him with A.J. Brown. The biggest reason why has been the defense. A unit that was horrible last year. A unit that really didn't do much to change around the personnel they changed the defensive coordinator, but not really much has changed, I thought, from last year to this year. 
when it comes to the defense and getting that much better. But the Tennessee Titans defense this year is the biggest reason why they are Super Bowl contenders nine weeks into the year and after the loss of their most important player and their best player in Derrick Henry. Because let's also call for what it is. The Tennessee Titans defense, it's not elite, right? It's not one of the best defenses in the NFL. To be honest, they're really not that great at anything. And they're 19th in the NFL in total defense. They're 24th in pass defense. They're allowing just over 23 points per game. They're not really a shutdown elite 1985 Bears unit where they are winning games strictly because of their defense 10-7 or 13-10. Like, this is not one of those historically great defenses. But the one thing to their credit, they have been great at. They have been consistently doing all season long is getting the timely stops. Making a play or two that changes the game around. They've done it all season long, and they did it again last night. Because, again, you're now going on the road. Sunday Night Football going to what I think is the best team in the NFL currently through, through at least eight weeks heading into last night's finale, and that was the Rams. They're super balanced in offense, tremendous defense. And that's the first game now for Tennessee. They are playing without Derrick Henry. Such an emotional loss, and that's a loss where I thought they would not be able to make up for it. This was the one game on the Titans' schedule the rest of the way. Because it's a favorable schedule. And the one game I thought this was no shot to have a chance in. You know, I thought this was going to, you know, uh, to be honest, I was already making plans to uh, turn the game off by halftime or the third quarter. Did not think this game was going to be anywhere near close, let alone the blowout being Tennessee side, handing it to the Rams. But that's what happened, and why it happened was because of Tennessee's defense. Another example last night of the Titans' defense turning and changing the game. And really, before you blink, this game goes from 3-0 L.A. to 21-3 Tennessee. In part because how well their defense played. They got that interception deep, deep in Rams territory. Forced by pressure on Matthew Stafford. Just had to throw the ball out of the end zone. He did his best Carson Wentz impression from last week. Just chucking the ball up. Trying to do anything to avoid a safety. Well, for the second week in a row, the Titans do uh, benefit from that. Got a pick. This time they didn't run it back. Like they did last week against Carson Wentz. But they get it inside the five-yard line. They score a touchdown. Okay. One bad play. Matthew Stafford and this Rams uh, offense will bounce back. The very next play on offense, Matthew Stafford throws a pick six. So you blink. Two picks, 14 points off turnovers. And next thing you know, Tennessee's rolling. They are rolling without Derrick Henry. Having Adrian Peterson as your number one back now, shouldering the load or trying to at least shoulder the load, although he didn't get much burn yesterday. Coming in for Tennessee. So, so much credit has to give to this or has to be given to this Titans defense because they limited a very high-powered, explosive Rams offense to basically just three field goals. Now, take away the garbage touchdown at the end when the game was already in hand and, and Matthew Stafford just padded his uh, fantasy stats for all you who have Matthew Stafford as quarterback. Yours truly here did as well. Not great. But really, think about that. At home, a high-flying, high-powered Rams offense that really has not been slowed down at any point this season. Limited to basically just three field goals all game. Even when the Rams got explosive plays. Even when they look like, okay, here they come. They're putting together, you know, big, big play after big play after big play. Here comes the Rams offense finally waking up. Tennessee's defense got the stop they needed. Held by the goal line. 
they continue to make the winning plays week in and week out. Because it's not just yesterday, right? This is not just an anomaly where yesterday's Tennessee's defense just had, you know, they woke up, it was their day, and they made a few plays. This has been happening all season long for Tennessee. You go back to last week, a 34-31 overtime victory against the Colts. Again, the defense gave up 31 points. But they got the pick six late in the game that took the lead before Carson Wentz tied it before going overtime. In overtime, they got to stop. They forced a punt. And then the next possession of the Colts had in overtime, they get a pick of Carson Wentz deep in their own end, leads to the game-winning Randy Bullock field goal. They gave up 31 points, but they made the two biggest winning plays of the game to ensure Tennessee walked out of that game with the win. And that was without, by the way, Derrick Henry being effective because, as we know, that was the game where he injured his foot and barely did anything. 68 yards on the ground. So, again, now that's two weeks in a row where the Titans defense made plays against good teams. Let's go back even a week before that. I know everyone's kind of doing it now, but Tennessee's defense, they put the Chiefs' offense in a blender. Limited them to just three points in that blowout dominant victory by the Titans. And a few days before that, Monday Night Football against the Bills. Again, another high-scoring game where I believe it was 34-31 yet again. But Tennessee, on the fourth and one, got the stop they needed to win that game. They are, I don't say bend but don't break because they do allow touchdowns. But they continuously, all season long, have gotten the big stop. Have made the big play to win the game. Even going back to week two. Again, another high-scoring affair against Seattle. They're down 24-9, 30-16 in the second half. They were still able to limit the Seahawks' offense in the second half to give themselves a chance. Sure, they gave up 30 points before that, but they at least gave the offense a chance to come back, which they didn't. They got the stop in overtime they needed. Titans get the ball, kick the field goal, game over. So all season long, they haven't been shut down. They haven't been locked down. They haven't really been great at anything, like I said. But the one thing they have consistently been good at is continuing to step up and make plays. And the most amazing part about this is that they are still making plays. They are still, again, held a Rams offense to just nine points for the most part yesterday. And this is with a secondary that is beleaguered. That is devastated and ravaged by injury. They were dropping like flies in the Buffalo Bills game a few weeks ago, about a month ago. Still were able to come out with a victory. Just about the fact they had no really healthy uh, defensive backs against the Chiefs, held them to three points. Made plays against the Colts last week and really shut down and confused Matthew Stafford big time last night. They just this week alone, they put two defensive backs on IR, or this month alone, I should say. They played without Rashawn Evans on Sunday. So they're missing some of the biggest pieces on this defense for a good part of this last month. But despite the lack of health, Despite all the players on IR, they continue to step up and make plays to win the game. This team is proving, and I didn't think this was possible, but they are continuing to prove that they are more than just a Derrick Henry-led team. Derrick Henry's been great when he's been on the field. He was going for another historic year on the ground before he got hurt. But now that he's been out, Although it's a very short sample size, again, the defense has still been able to step up and make the plays, and that's why I feel confident putting them in the AFC you know, Super Bowl contender category. And you look just this last month they have. The toughest stretch arguably any team will have this season in a four-game stretch. Bills, Chiefs, at Colts, at the Rams, 4-0. 4-0. How many teams against that four-team four stretch are going 4-0? Not many. Not many, if any. 
Tennessee did so, and they did so in all different ways. They did so dealing with all different types of injuries. But the one constant in those four games and all season long has been the defense stepping up to make plays. So you look around the AFC right now. Bengals were a team I was high on. I thought they were legit. They lose to the, the Jets last week. They get blown out by the Browns. Browns are dealing with their own injury concerns. The Chiefs get a win yesterday, but their offense still looks stagnant. They're still very unimpressive. The Chargers squeak out a win against the Eagles. The Ravens needed a big comeback victory over the Vikings. The Bills lose to the Jaguars yesterday. The point is in the AFC, it is wide open. It's not the NFC where there's a clear divide between Super Bowl contender and not. This is a group of teams that sure have some nice records, but no one has been able to separate themselves. So I can't sit here and tell you the Titans don't belong in that category. They absolutely do. The Titans are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And despite the injuries, despite losing Derrick Henry, they have been one of the most consistent teams in the AFC all season long. So in a game, I thought, to be honest, they had zero shot of winning last night. The defense, yet again, proves me wrong. Makes the plays they needed to step up and get a victory. The defense has been the true strength of this team this year and is the true reason why I'm putting them in the Super Bowl contender category. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I'm in on the Titans. And I have not been very kind. I have not been very high on Tennessee coming into this year. That is for sure. So that kind of shows you how much they've impressed me. Why well, I'm changing my tune a lot here on Tennessee. And I do think they are right in that Super Bowl category, even though they're missing their best player. Do you agree? Are the Tennessee Titans Super Bowl contenders? Love to hear your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Tweet your thoughts there. We'll, we'll read them on the show. And when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, I thought there was one of the most impressive wins we've seen all season and also one of the most disappointing wins we saw all season. Both took place in week nine yesterday. I'll tell you who those were uh, when we do return here, right here on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Tennessee Titans, huge, huge victory last night. I think that propels them into the Super Bowl conversation, led by, of course, just like we all thought coming into the season, their defense. With that said, though, I thought yesterday did provide, obviously, a lot of shocking results, which we'll get into here. The Bills going down to the Jaguars, uh, among other, uh, other games we'll touch on here in a second. But I did think week number nine yesterday provided one of the most impressive wins we saw of all the season. Forget just week nine. In all the NFL season so far through nine weeks. And also, I thought we saw one of the most disappointing, sad losses of the entire NFL season. Both, I thought, happened yesterday. So let's start with the positive first. Let's talk about a team that I thought had one of the most impressive and big-time wins of the season. And that's the Cleveland Browns. When you consider the week they had to deal with. The fact that they went on the road to Cincinnati and smoked the Bengals. It was one of the best performances considering circumstances I've seen all season long. 
I did not think there was a, a chance, a prayer. Cleveland was going into Cincinnati and beating the Bengals. But you look at what they dealt with. And Parker's all the drama, right? You suffer and you deal with a brutal loss at home to the Steelers last week. Well, that's a game they should have won. They dropped to last place in the division. Then you have to deal with all of the Odell Beckham Jr. drama where he wants to be traded. The trade deadline comes and goes. His dad puts out a video highlighting, basically calling out the quarterback of the Browns for purposely ignoring Odell Beckham Jr. and not throwing his way or overthrowing it, uh, overthrowing him and causing a lot of drama. You have LeBron James tweeting free OBJ. And obviously, we know, you know, trade does not commence. OBJ is still on the Browns. Asked not to come to practice. So all week, instead of talking about how the Browns can get back in the win column, how they can kind of get off the schneid gear, deal with injuries, trying to bounce back for some brutal losses against the Cardinals, brutal losses against the Steelers of late. All their focus, all the attention was surrounding Odell Beckham Jr., his relationship with Baker Mayfield, is he purposely ignoring, you know, is Baker purposely ignoring OBJ? Is he going to, you know, what's the future of Odell Beckham Jr.? And as you know, that ended with the Browns releasing him today officially. But all the drama this week was off the field. Surrounding the locker room dynamics of one of the most polarizing players in the NFL. That's a lot to be able to overcome. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you're going on the road in division against a Joe Burrow-led Bengals team that's been one of the biggest surprises of the season. And not only do you go into Cincinnati, play a lot better offensively than you did last week, you blow the Bengals out. It was impressive as hell. And call it just ironic, call it a coincidence, but now for the second year in a row, I know it's one game, so it's a very small sample size, but now for the second year in a row, the Browns offense has looked a lot better. Sans OBJ. Then they did what he was in the lineup. Yesterday was all about the run game. Nick Chubb totally dominated the line of scrimmage. 137 yards, two touchdowns. That running game helped open up the pass game. And look, <laughs> for all the criticism of Baker Mayfield that he faced this past week, his accuracy issues, dealing with the left shoulder, as we know, that's been bothering him and will bother him the rest of the season. His deep ball accuracy, the willingness for Baker to push the ball down the field. Look, he didn't get asked to throw the ball down the field a ton. But when he did, he looked pretty good. He made some smart, confident throws. Didn't exactly light up in the pass game, but also didn't really put the Browns in harm's way. Thought he had a nice bounce-back game after struggling last week against the Steelers. Found Donovan Peoples-Jones two times down the field. One for a big touchdown. Another time dropped a beautiful pass down the sideline. Baker pushed the ball down the field, and when he did, he looked good doing so. Again, wasn't asked to do so a lot. But did play well, and I thought this was a, a great team performance of the defense. Again, whether it's coincidence that all of a sudden OBJ is gone or not, they were flying around the football, forcing turnovers in Joe Burrow's face. Secondary is all over these Bengals receivers. They look like they had a lot of extra juice yesterday. They really We haven't seen from this team in a while. You compare last week's game against the Steelers at home on Halloween to this week's game against the Bengals, and energy-wise, it is night and day. This team looked like they were sleepwalking for basically three and a half quarters uh, of the game against Pittsburgh last week. 
Their offense was bland to score 10 points. The defense did well. You know, they only had 15 points. But there was no juice. There was no energy. There was no swagger. And they looked like they took all of the frustration from the distractions they were faced this week. All of the frustration from even the criticism that has come their way for starting off to this point 4-4. Four and four. And they look like they took it out on the Bengals. They look like they were cage animals finally let loose and ready to take it out. And the Bengals happened to be that opponent standing in their way. It was super, super impressive. That was one of the most impressive victories, I think, of the season. It started off on a you know, great note. You have the Bengals driving right down the field on the, on the opening drive. If you're Branson, you're thinking, here we go again. And Denzel Ward changes the game with that 99-yard pick six. And just like that, you know, it was just kind of like, all right, if you're Cleveland, here we go. This is our game. We're not letting this one go down. And they were flying after that. Again, Joe Burrow had pressure in his face. Whether it was Jamar Chase, whether it was T. Higgins. They are getting hounded. All game long, forcing turnovers, going for the ball. And offensively, again, they really established the tone. They set the pace by running the ball, going back to their bread and butter. And they had to throw the ball. Baker looked really good doing so. They put their foot on Cincinnati, or they put, yeah, their foot on Cincinnati's throat early and never let go, never looked back. That's a great win, a great division win when you needed it most. You can make the argument. I think it's true. The Browns saved their season yesterday. They got a tough schedule going forward. Things right now are looking bleak when, again, you lose to the Steelers at home last week, and you go on the road at Cincinnati. And it's what I think is a playoff team this year with the Bengals. Smoke them. Don't even give them a shot. One of the most impressive victories we have seen all season long in the NFL came yesterday by the Cleveland Browns. On the flip side, I thought one of the most disappointing losses we have seen all season long, one of the most inexcusable, what the hell do we just watch, losses came by the San Francisco 49ers. You look at it as they took on the Cardinals yesterday. San Fran is at home. They are facing a Cardinals team yesterday without Kyler Murray, no DeAndre Hopkins, no A.J. Green. Chase Edmonds, I think, played one play and got hers out the rest of the game. So you're looking at an offense with no quarterback, two of their best receivers, and one of their two best running backs. That's not a game you can lose. And the fact, forget the fact that San Francisco lost this game for a second. They were blown out. They didn't have a shot. They were carved up by Colt McCoy, James Conner, no disrespect to him, Christian Kirk. And this Cardinals offense dropped 31 points on the 49ers. What are we doing? What the hell is going on? This 49ers team coming into the year, I thought was super talented. Last year, they were ravaged and decimated by injury. But you look at the roster, there's a lot of the same pieces back healthy on this 2021 team that went to the Super Bowl just two years ago. Those are on the defensive side. And you look, and yesterday they allowed 31 points to Colt McCoy. Like, what are we doing? Cole McCoy was looking super efficient and ran the offense easily. And he had just four incompletions, threw for 249 yards, did throw a touchdown pass out to James Conner. But the Cardinals offense was going up and down the field. It is 31 to 7. 
In the second half, so sure, that they scored 10 points, and it's 31-17. It looks a little bit closer. The 49ers were blown out at home to a Cardinals team without Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Chase Edmonds. Inexcusable. You cannot have that happen. Because even without no Kyler Murray, you have to know then where the ball is going. It's going to be to James Conner. And he was unstoppable. 173 total yards, three touchdowns. Now I'll give credit to a guy that, to be honest, I'm down upon. That I thought going into this year was going to be fired. That I did not think is a good coach. But I got to give credit where credit is due. And Cliff Kingsbury had a tremendous game plan yesterday. He made Kyle Shannon, I know Kyle Shannon's on the defense coordinator, but he made Kyle Shannon and that defense look silly. Like it was a varsity going up to JV. And credit to Cliff Kingsbury, maybe he knew something we all didn't. But all week, it was seemed to be a game-time decision for Kyler Murray. So sure, I, I get Cole McCoy got all the first-team rest and practice this week, but there was still a thought, maybe there was still a hope that even though he didn't practice, he can come out Sunday, Kyler Murray could, get on the field, feel good, and be good enough to play. So there was still no even guarantee that Colt McCoy was going to start Sunday. So you're making a game plan, and there's still some hope that, okay, maybe Kyler's in here, so we'll, we'll game plan a little things for him, do something for Colt. And man, instead, it was all Colt McCoy, and it was no problem for Arizona. That's a really bad job by a Kyle Shanahan-led team, and I love Kyle Shanahan. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. You cannot allow that performance to happen yesterday. You cannot allow your defense to get shredded by what is a shell of an offense. When they're healthy, the Cardinals have one of the best offenses in the NFL. There's no doubting that. The issue was they were missing every explosive piece, essentially, to that offense yesterday, and they still dropped 31 points. And this is a 49ers team, mind you, that is not looking, you know, tanking the season. That is not out of the playoff race. They were on the fringe of the playoff race. The bottom of the NFC, the teams chasing the, the, uh, the six and seven seed. The 49ers right in that conversation, even though they're under 500. Even though they were three and four coming to this game and now dropped to three and five. But coming in, they were in playoff contention. These games still mattered a ton. So it's not like they just mailed in the season and just didn't come in motivated. This was a huge game. This should have been, honestly, a gimme game. A gimme game. You don't complain about it, but hey, all these injuries ravaging Arizona. You go in there, thank you very much. We'll take our win. We'll go to 4-4, four and four, and we'll worry about chasing the Saints, who are now 5-3. and three. We'll worry about staying ahead of, of the Vikings and the other teams you're competing with at the bottom of the NFC to get that 6-7 and seven seed. It is wide open. This game was there for the taking for the 49ers, and they threw it away. Flushed it down the drain. It's inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. And not to mention, not only did Arizona come into this game super banged up, right, missing a lot of their key guys, the 49ers also came to this game getting healthier. George Kittle made his return from IR to go back on the field. So your offense is excuse me, getting healthier, whereas the Cardinals getting more banged up, and it didn't matter. Did not matter. This was a game the 49ers could not lose. Could not lose. And they did. Gave second and third chances to Cole McCoy by some two brutal turnovers. 
One fumble by George Kittle, another fumble by Brandon Ayuk deep in Arizona territory. You cannot give a good team like the Cardinals dealing with backups in the wide receiving core, the running back room, and the quarterback room. Give them any extra opportunities, and that's what happened. Jimmy G didn't play bad. The issue was before you know you blink and it's already 17 nothing. 24-7. 31-7. Game's over. Credit to the Cardinals, credit to Cole McCoy, credit to Cliff Kingsbury for really running circles and embarrassing the 49ers. But that is exactly what I just said. An embarrassing loss. Other one of the most disappointing performances of all the NFL season yesterday by the 49ers. That was awful. Absolutely awful. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Who had the most impressive win of week number nine? Were you impressed by the Browns or was it another team? The Jaguars stunned the, the Bills. We'll get to that in here in a second. The Titans dominate the Rams. What was the most impressive victory of the weekend in your mind in the NFL? On the flip side, was there a more disappointing loss in the 49ers? Was there a team that you're sitting there going, what the hell did we just watch? Get your thoughts, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We do return it. One of those teams that could be in the category, I think obviously lost out to the 49ers, but had a very head-scratching loss is Buffalo. What the hell is going on with their offense? What's going on? And for the Cowboys, should they be concerned about their loss, their blow loss to the Broncos? We'll touch on all that and more in quick hits when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Week number nine in the NFL. Almost in the books here. A hectic, chaotic Sunday, to say the least, where underdogs ran the day. So let's get into a, a few quick hits here. 20 minutes from now, the Packers have to blow up their future. We'll explain that here in a second. But let's bounce around a few games and, and hit on some teams and some games we have not touched on yet so far. Let me ask you this question. What the hell has happened to the Buffalo Bills offense? Because... This is not just a one-game issue here where they lose to the Jaguars 9-6. 9-6. Yesterday. That, though, we did, In the game where we did not see an offensive touchdown. This isn't the first time this season that we have seen the Bills' offense struggle. They have regressed. There's some really, you know, start to be some concerns and some answers or some questions, I should say, about this Bills' offense because this, this offense is taking a step back and Josh Allen, to me, is taking a step back. The most concerning part, I think, watching Josh Allen this season, and even yesterday especially, is you see him now still reverting back to some bad habits he had in his first two seasons in the NFL. Has poor mechanics at times, not really setting his feet, still some inaccuracy issues, missing some open receivers, back to making some bad and questionable decisions. We all wanted to run and praise and love Josh Allen last year and cement him as an elite quarterback, put him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, say he's a franchise guy after just one season. He had three years in the NFL up to last year, and one of them was good. 
2020. The fact that he was crowned this big-time great quarterback was confusing to me because all I wanted to do was just see it again. Just show what you can do and replicate the year you had. And so far, he's been unable to. Yesterday is not an anomaly. The offense for three, three and a half quarters struggled against an awful Dolphins defense last week. And for the most part, even in some blowout games they're playing really well in, this offense is still not clicking. They're still not playing well. They're still not back to those 2020 levels. They have throttled down. And you really got to watch the games. Like This is one of those teams and offenses, the Bills, where you have to really watch the game in order to see what you're talking about. Because you look at the numbers, you're telling me I'm crazy. But the Bills are number five in the NFL in terms of points per game, just shy of 30 points per game at 20.9. So you look at those numbers and say, well, Ryan, what are you talking about? This offense is still scoring a ton of points. Josh Allen is still you know, throwing a ton of touchdowns. It's not the same, though. This offense is really not playing that well. They're not as dynamic as the stats suggest. A lot of their high point totals come later on in the game. They do settle for more field goals than they show touchdowns. A lot of this also benefits on their brutal schedule they play, playing teams like the Washington football team. They play the Dolphins twice already, who, again, have some of the wor- has one of the worst defenses in all the NFL. There's only been really one or two true elite games in this Bills offense. One of them came in a loss against the Titans. That Monday night game was one of the best games the Bills have played offensively all season long. I get it came in a loss. But even some of the teams they're blowing out, there's still not the same sort of efficiency, explosiveness that we saw last year. Consistency for me was the biggest red flag when it comes to Josh Allen and why I wasn't buying in last year fully. Like, like he had a tremendous year last year, right? He was one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best players in the NFL. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he wasn't. But for me, the, the biggest question I had was, can he do it again? Now that defense is kind of see what Josh Allen really did well, what Brian Dayball was drawing up and what really worked, can he do it again? When defenses know what's coming, when defense coordinators now are scheming to stop Stephon Diggs, are scheming to kind of make Josh Allen make mistakes, can he do it again? So far, the answer has been no. That came to a head yesterday. A 9-6 loss to the Jaguars. Well, really, at this point, nine weeks of the season, that offensive lack of an outburst shouldn't be surprising. This is something to watch. This is absolutely something to watch because the Bills on paper are the, one of the most balanced teams in the AFC. There are a lot of people's popular pick now to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. That offense to me still scares me. There's still a lot of questions coming out of Buffalo. And I think yesterday was the latest example of that. Bills offense has some issues. The numbers are deceiving, but the red zone they struggle, Josh Allen is still reverting back to making mistakes. This is something that has to be watched the second half of the year for sure. Because the Bills absolutely can go home early in the playoffs if this offense doesn't get back in gear like they did in 2020. So I am concerned about the Bills offense for sure. What I'm not concerned about, what I'm not worried about, is the Cowboys. But they, they had another shocking defeat yesterday in what was the trend of week number nine. Big time upsets. They were blown out by the Broncos. Again, another score that's really not truly as indicative of how the game was. They lose to the, the Broncos 30-16. Lose by two touchdowns. It wasn't even that close. But here's why I'm not too concerned with this loss. I think the biggest contributor to this blow loss for the Cowboys was rust. Look at Dak Prescott. Right? He hurt his calf in the final play of the game against the Patriots a few weeks ago in that overtime win. Well, they had a bye week. 
I thought smartly they sat him down, did not play him last week. So he was working basically for the first time in three weeks. And the rust showed. He was super inaccurate, 19 completions, tw uh, 19 completions, sorry, 20 incompletions. Just 232 yards passing in the air, did throw a pick. I think, honestly, yesterday's result, I guess I'm going to take some away for, for the Broncos, there's respect, but I think it's one of those games where it's just one of those any given Sunday kind of losses. When any given Sunday, as they say, right, any team can beat any team. We saw yesterday, the Jaguars just take down the Bills, the Titans without Derrick Henry take down the Rams. We'll get to the Falcons-Saints game here in a second, but also the Cowboys losing to the Broncos. So I don't think they've been exposed. I don't think this is a, 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 pattern or, or a pattern or trend that will develop here coming out of this loss. I truly do think it's Dak Prescott's rusty. hasn't played in three weeks. And one of those things where the team is flat, Broncos played one of their best games and just won. They just won. I don't think this is something too, you know, going forward, something to be too concerned about. How about this news? One of the, the only real biggest news stories off the field yesterday was Odell Beckham Jr. We touched on his release a little earlier with the Browns and all the drama that was surrounding Cleveland this week. But now last night, it appears, according to USA Today's Mike Jones, that the one team making a big push so far, the one team that really wants to make a run to get OBJ, are the Seattle Seahawks. According to Mike Jones, Russell Wilson is the one urging Seattle, get Odell Beckham Jr. in here. Let's not forget, this is not the first time Russell Wilson has advocated for a troubled receiver. Before Antonio Brown uh, signed with the Buccaneers last year, the Seahawks were another team that were interested in part because Russell Wilson was really pushing big time for them to sign AB. Remember, they were working out together in San Diego. Those videos posted before AB ended up being suspended. Russell Wilson really wanted Antonio Brown and the Seahawks. Obviously, we know he went to Buccaneers. Well, it sounds like Russell Wilson, again, really wants Odell Beckham Jr. in Seattle. I think this would be a mistake. I truly think this would be a mistake by the Seahawks. Because I'll be honest here, I think OBJ is the most overrated player in the NFL. The perception of OBJ, the player that he used to be, the player that fans in their minds still envision when they hear OBJ, they think of the one-handed catch against the Giants, the 1,300-yard seasons he had early on in his career, the, the double-digit touchdown catches, one of the most electric players ball, you know, with, with the ball in his hands in the NFL. That's not who he is anymore. The reality of 2021 Odell Beckham Jr. does not match the perception in our heads that is still there from a few years ago and what he was able to accomplish. Just this year alone, 17 catches, 232 yards, zero touchdowns. You want to blame Baker Mayfield? I don't buy it. I think this is more of an OBJ problem. And we well, yeah, not to mention... The, lot, you know, the production hasn't been there the last few years. By the way, he's also dealing with a shoulder injury this year. He's not fully healthy. He's coming off an ACL tear that hasn't really seemed to hinder him too much this season. But now he's dealing with a shoulder injury that has impacted him this season. So you're Seattle. You're getting a guy that, to me, the perception doesn't mean reality. He hasn't been able to prove it on the field. He's injured. And then, oh, yeah. He keeps talking about that he wants to play for Warner. He wants to go to a contending team. He wants to be with a winning culture. He says that, but his actions don't reflect that. Because he doesn't care about winning. He cares about his stats. Why do you think he wanted out of Cleveland? I get the Browns had a rough start to the year, 4-4. Four and four, But there was different factors for this. Injuries there. They just got a big win over the Bengals. They're 5-4. and four. They're right back in the playoff hunt. 
This is one of the still the most balanced teams in the NFL, the, the Browns are, in my opinion. So it's like he was talking about the Browns from three years ago that were 1-15 or 0-16. This is a very talented Browns team that I still think will make the playoffs. So he wants to talk about going to a winner. Wanted to be a part of a winning team. He was on a winning team. Like, off to a slow start, I get it. But the Browns are still good. He wasn't on the Lions or the Jets or the Giants. He's on the Browns. He said, no thanks, I want to go to a winner. And now he's going to go to Seattle, of all places, at 3-5? and five? I get Russell Wilson is coming back, and I get, look, you look at the bottom of the NFC, the 49ers lose a brutal game. Like they're, The Seahawks should get a wild card spot, despite the fact they're 3-5 and five in the season. It's kind of crazy to say. But I still don't believe that he is a guy that cares about winning more than his stats. And that's what concerns me is because you go to Seattle. Sure, you're playing with Russell Wilson, but also you have DK Metcalf in front of you and Tyler Lockett in front of you. Not to mention Tyler Lockett and, and OBJ kind of do the same thing. Like He really doesn't fit there because DK Metcalf is a beast. Not only down the field, but intermediate, catching those slant routes and taking it 60 yards for a touchdown. As you know, Tyler Lockett's a tremendous deep threat. OBJ kind of does both, right? He's one of those guys that can run his slant and take it 60 yards. He also loves taking the top off the defense. He kind of does both things that both Lockett and, and, and DK do. So I don't see a natural fit there personally. And I don't see him being okay with, let's say, getting four or five targets a game because the lion's share is going to Ty Lockett, going to uh, DK Metcalf. And oh yeah, let's not to mention, this is still a team that Pete Carroll still wants to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. So it's like they're throwing it 40 times a game either. I don't like this fit for Seattle if they sign OBJ. I think they should steer clear for sure. The New Orleans Saints have some questions about the future of quarterback. I will say this. In their loss to the Falcons yesterday, I think one of the most evident things that I still think they need to bring Phillip Rivers in. I think it's in their best interest of capitalizing the most on this team by bringing in Phillip Rivers and having him quarterback the last, whatever, five, six, seven games that he can play for and lead them to the playoffs. I think at this point, Drew Brees would have been already on the team if he was called. I don't think Drew Brees would have said no. I just wonder that it doesn't seem like maybe the, the Saints called. Because I think he would have said yes, and I think he would have been back in the facility at some point this week with the Saints. So I'm going to set, you know, kind of have that ship sail a little bit. But Philip Rivers, to me, is a guy that obviously still wants to play. Right? He, he was speaking to Sam Farmer of the LA Times last week. He said, look, I'm staying ready. If a, call, if a team calls, like, I'm interested. So he still wants to play. I think when you look at the way he plays, it is similar to Drew Brees. But, like, you look at what Sean Payton had to do and how he had to coach Drew Brees the last few years of his career. Drew Brees was not that mobile. His arm strength was an issue. You look at Philip Rivers. He is not very mobile at all. His arm strength is an issue, but it's all about passing on time. It's a timing offense. That's what Sean Payton does really well in New Orleans. That's what works well for Philip Rivers. And Frank Wright got a lot out of Philip Rivers yesterday, uh, last year. They were 11-5. They went to the playoffs. They almost beat the Bills in the playoffs. Philip Rivers' career, I think, was revitalized last year by Frank Reich. He retired, but I still think if you bring him in, if you're in New Orleans, for, again, the last month and a half, two months of the season, get him ready for playoff time, I think he gives you the best shot to win a playoff game. No offense to Trevor Simmons. It's not like he played bad yesterday at all. But I think his ceiling for the Saints and going to the playoffs is lower than it would be compared to Philip Rivers. But like he did go yesterday, Trevor Simmons, 25-41, Threw for 250 yards, two touchdowns. 
Because only he exactly lost them the game yesterday, but you lost to the Falcons. That's again the Saints should win. So whether it's Taysom Hill, whether it's Trevor Simeon, I don't think either either of them really raised the level of this team enough to get the most out for what the talent is there. No Michael Thomas, which just hurt you a little bit, but I do think it's Philip Rivers' time. I think having an experienced, savvy veteran working with Sean Payton here, I think it would be the best situation for the Saints going forward to try to win a playoff game. But that, I think that should be the goal for the season, just win a playoff game. They're nearly nowhere near the elite teams in the NFC. They're going to be on the road. Just win a playoff game. That should be, I think, the goal. I think they can absolutely do that if Philip Burr is the guy, not Taysom Hill, not Trevor Simeon. So we'll, speak of, we'll finish off with a quarterback who really, really has kind of sunk to a low, and that's Sam Darnold. I hate to say it, but it's true. I jumped the gun too early at Sam Darnold. When they got off to that 3-0 start, now it wasn't exactly the best competition against the Jets, the Saints that we just, we just mentioned, and the Texans. I really thought Sam Darnold was the future franchise quarterback of the Panthers. I thought he showed enough in just those three games. Coming over from the Jets to show, okay, he has some promise. He's only going to get better as the season goes on, and he's going to show everybody why he, the Jets made the wrong move, and he is still a really talented quarterback. And you know what? Since then, he's quickly made a mockery of that belief. It has been really, really ugly for Sam Darnold. Really since Christian McCaffrey went out and they got to that 3-0 start. Since that Thursday night football game against the Texans, it has gone south in a hurry for Sam Donald. Three interceptions yesterday versus the Patriots. Sub 50% completion percentage against the Patriots yesterday. Is now has thrown eight interceptions in his last five games. The Panthers are just one in four since that amazing 3-0 start. And he does lead the NFL with 11 picks. This has been a huge disappointment. A really huge disappointment. Sam Donald... The most frustrating part is the guy has talent. He shows you flashes week in, week out that, wow, look at that throw. Look at that throw on the run into a tight window. He has the arm talent. He has the arm strength. He has the athleticism to be a good quarterback. He just consistently cannot even put two or three throws together at this point. The Giants game a few weeks ago was super ugly. The Vikings game was a big disappointment. And again, yesterday... Bill Belichick just made him look so lost on the field, which again, okay. It's Bill Belichick. He does it to a lot of quarterbacks, but Sam Darnold, man, just a, a complete disappointment to where he is playing himself out of the job before the season's even over. And honestly, I don't know what Matt Rule, you know, what he has left to do. They benched him a few weeks against the Giants and they put P.J. Walker in. You might have to start P.J. Walker soon. But I know they, they already picked up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option when they made the trade with the Jets. There's no shot Sam Darnold's on the field uh, with, the, with the Panthers next year. And again, he might not even finish out the year. Even with Christian McCaffrey finally returning from IR yesterday and kind of being not being a safety blanket and kind of being you know, obviously the best player on the team, that still, not could, that still couldn't get him out of his funk. So you look at yesterday, another disappointing performance from Sam Darnold. Look, he's going to be on his third team in three years next year. I don't know what team wants to claim as a reclamation project. Maybe he has to do what Mitch Trubisky does and go to a good team and be a backup and just learn. He is going to be on a new team next year with his career on the brink. 
After the 3-0 start, he has been all downhill, and he's reverted back to his Jets days, which I hate to say now, but I really can't even say he reverted back to his Jets days. Maybe this is just Sam Darnold reverting back to who he truly is, which is not a very good quarterback. I hate to say it. I'm very high on Sam Darnold. I thought a lot of the issues in New York with the Jets were more on the Jets than him. They really gave him a raw deal. And for three games, I thought I was right. But my goodness, could I have not been proven more wrong here these last five games? Absolutely brutal. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. So when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Show Network, Jordan Love made his much-anticipated debut for the Packers yesterday. Safe to say, it did not go well. Should the Packers reconsider their future? We will discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you on the Worldwide Sports Red and Eric. Hour number two, as always, is brought to you by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are great for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some aesthetically pleasing and delicious charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. This question should be going through the Packers' mind all uh, all night last night, all day today. Should Aaron Rodgers stay or go? Because yesterday I thought was the absolute worst case scenario for Packers GM Brian Gutekunst. Jordan Love's performance yesterday, struggling against a very bad Chiefs defense, I think shows you. Shows the Packers, shows the fans, shows the rest of you know the NFL. Green Bay cannot afford to lose Aaron Rodgers this offseason. They got to do everything possible, whatever it takes, to ensure number 12 is with the Packers for the rest of his career. So why is this the worst-case scenario for Brian Gutekunst? Because he's going to have to now do something he did not want to do. He's going to have to do something he refused to do this past offseason, I don't think was planning on doing this offseason, but now is left with no other choice. He has to apologize to Aaron Rodgers and beg him to come back. Hands and knees, say, I'm sorry, I'll do whatever it takes. Please don't leave us. If you remember, even though he's under contract for one more year, the agreement was after this offseason between the Packers and and Aaron Rodgers, that they were going to shave the final year of his contract off. So now 2023 is no longer. He's under contract for one more year, 2022. But they, they agreed, at least in principle, verbally, that if Aaron Rodgers wants to leave after this season, they will honor that and they will trade him. Well, now you got to beg, plead, convince Aaron Rodgers the best place for you is Green Bay. Do not leave us. Stay. We'll trade Jordan Love. We'll do whatever you want. You have to be our guy here going forward for the next few years because the Packers cannot afford to trade Aaron Rodgers away and go to Jordan Love. Not after what you saw yesterday. Not after what you saw yesterday. Because for one and a half years, 
After Brian Gutekunst made the most or one of the most polarizing draft picks of all time, trading up in the first round to get Jordan Love. He was waiting for a day like this. He was waiting for any positive signs from Jordan Love to drop, I told you so, to the media that criticized the pick, to the fans that were questioning why you drafting Jordan Love when we have Aaron Rodgers. There was a lot of discussion criticism about that pick. There was not nowhere close to you, Nanos. That's a great move. That's a really smart move. So what the hell are you doing? Why are you putting a clock on Aaron Rodgers? Why are you basically forcing out one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL out of Green Bay? So yesterday was a big opportunity. Brian Gutekunst basically turned around and said, I told you so. If he played well, if Jordan Love came out there, played well, looked confident, looked competent, Gave you some signs of belief. Gave you some reasons to hope that, hey, the future is looking bright. He could sit there, feet up. I told you so. Maybe say some other choice words that I'm sure he's been holding in for so long. And basically do a little mini parade for himself. That even though it's one game, there was enough there to kind of make fans feel better. That, okay, you know what? We're going we're gonna to trade on. We're going to move on from Aaron Rodgers' offseason, which a lot of, basically everyone assumes, including yours truly, they're going to move on from after this offseason. But this was a shot to truly, or this was a chance, I should say, to truly kind of show the future is bright. We don't really know much about Jordan Love, but this was a chance to really show the fans that, hey, I know what I'm doing. Don't worry. Yeah, we're moving on from a great. But the guy, the next guy coming in, is going to be just as good. But instead, after yesterday, after that 13-7 to loss to the Chiefs, to a bad Chiefs defense, it's all of the fans. It's the media. It's everyone who questioned and criticized the pick going forward two years ago are now the ones saying, we told you so. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Because frankly, Jordan Love looked overwhelmed. He looked like a guy that has a lot of work to do. When 19 to 34 uh, for 190 yards, one touchdown, one pick, was getting pressured out the wazoo. But against a Chiefs defense that has been horrendous all season long, Packers offense couldn't get anything going. Even with the return of Devontae Adams, you had Aaron Jones in the lineup. Everyone was healthy and back on the field for the most part. It was not a shorthanded offense without Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love had all the weapons at his disposal and still really struggled. Struggled against the Blitz, was inaccurate down the field. He looked like a guy, which... Nothing, you know, no knock on him. This is kind of the um, the read coming out of college as, as Utah State guy that had really two years to start. One was really good, one was really bad. He was viewed as a project kind of similar to Trey Lance in a way coming out of uh, North Dakota State this past year. Where he needs time. There's still a lot of question marks. He's rougher on the edges. You need time to develop. You need time to get him on the field, get his feet wet, and have him kind of tr- slowly build his way up to being a good quarterback. He looked like a guy uh, last yesterday. Jordan Love did, who needs time to develop. But the thing is, though, for teams like the 49ers, for example, right, who with Trey Lance are taking it very slow, I think that's the right approach. For a lot of teams that are trying to break in young rookie quarterbacks or young second-year quarterbacks, you can afford to give them time to develop. You can allow them to kind of make mistakes as they go because you know what? You hope for the future. Okay, the alternative is another young quarterback or a few of the 49ers. Well, the alternative is Jimmy G. 
I'm a lot of 49er fans are sick of Jimmy G. Okay, so let's get a more dynamic quarterback in here. We'll deal with the growing pains for year two trends and hope that, you know, those fruits bear um, bear strong the next, you know, few years and you have your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years or so. But the thing that makes the Packers different than the 49ers, than the Jets and the Jaguars that are trying to break in their young quarterback is that the Packers have already on the team an all-time great quarterback, an elite quarterback still in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers. Again, for your, when you're the 49ers, your alternative is either Trey Lance or Jimmy G. If you're the Jets, your alternative is Zach Wilson, or in this case, Mike White, which looks <laughs> Jets fans might take Mike White right now. But if you're you know, the Patriots, it's either Mac Jones or Cam Newton. The young rookie quarterback, or the young second-year quarterback, depending on what team we're talking about here, that is always the more attractive route to go than the alternative. The Packers are the one team where this is not the case. You still have an elite, high-level player in Aaron Rodgers on your team. So I don't think it's a smart move to move on from Aaron Rodgers this quickly for a guy in Jordan Love that doesn't look ready to play. So you watched that game yesterday. I don't see how the Packers can sell you, can watch that game yesterday and sell you on the future of Jordan Love. I understand it's one game. Trust me. If you listen to the show, you know that I am very patient when it comes to young quarterbacks trying to have them and give them time to develop. But I, I make more excuses than, let's say, get on them early. For Sam Donald, I made excuses for his entire Jets career for three years. Whether it's... Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. I want to give them plenty of time and make sure they have everything at their disposal. Good coaching, good offense line, good weapons to throw the ball to, to truly make an evaluation of whether they can be a good quarterback or not. Because too many times like, we make snap decisions, we rush to judgment too quickly, and are ready to kind of just throw the quarterback out and move on to the next one. Oh, this guy stinks. Three games. Let's go, you know, let's draft another guy next year. We see with the Eagles. They are running through quarterbacks right now. So I'm more patient. But with that said, watching what I watched with Jordan Love yesterday, he has a chance to be a really good quarterback. He could still he could be the next great quarterback in the NFL. The issue is we don't know if he actually can be. And for the Packers, I'd rather still keep the known commodity in Aaron Rodgers on my team for the next three, four, five years than take the risk with Jordan Love, to be completely honest here. Jordan Love is the long-term play officer, right? Because you're hoping the next 15 years, maybe, he could be your franchise quarterback where you go from Favre to Rodgers to Love and you get almost 40 years of elite quarterback play. That's the plan. That's the thinking when Brian Gutekunst traded up to get Jordan Love two years ago in the draft. The thing now, though, is you have Aaron Rodgers coming off an MVP season in 2020. You have Aaron Rodgers this year in 2021 still showing no signs of slowing down. 19 total touchdowns, three interceptions so far. In the seven games that he has played, or the eight games that he has played, and you have the Packers right in the middle of the elite teams in the NFC, a hundred percent, they are a Super Bowl contender. So, for what I don't understand is, if you're the Packers, why you would give all that up, throw it all away, essentially blow up your Super Bowl window now in the next few years to hope, pray that Jordan Love can develop to be the guy you have. 
You have an elite quarterback that still could play at a high level in Aaron Rodgers for the next three, four, five years. I'd rather have three, four really good borderline elite years from Aaron Rodgers in the short term and then figure out your quarterback situation in four years from now rather than move on from Aaron Rodgers this offseason, see him go elsewhere. I think we'll have success similar to what Peyton Manning did with Denver where he goes elsewhere, still plays really well. We've seen it with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. These guys still have a lot of talent. They go elsewhere. I think they will still play at a really high level. So I'd rather keep Aaron Rodgers and see him go elsewhere and then watch your young quarterback go through the growing pains. Basically, deconstruct a Super Bowl contender now and hope that, what, Jordan Love's on the fast track to development? But if not, if he's slow to develop, if he's a guy who needs a year or two under his belt to kind of truly go through an NFL season and get his feet wet that way, I mean, all the players that are there now, you have Devontae Adams as a free agent at the end of the year. That defense is not getting any younger. Like, you are really taking a Super Bowl window that's open right now with Aaron Rodgers and flushing it away, hoping you can close the window and then in two or three years, open it back up big, uh, open it back up again. As we know, there's no guarantee for that. So I don't see how you can, if you're the Packers, sit here and convince yourself that you want to throw everything you have with Aaron Rodgers away, blow it all up for a project in Jordan Love coming out of Utah State that showed you he needs a lot of time. He needs a lot of development. I don't see how the Packers can do that. Not to mention, I don't say you can do that for yourself. I also don't say you can do that for the fan base. Like, how do you sell? If you're Brian Gutekunst, if you're Mark Murphy, if you're the Packers, how do you sell this offseason? Moving out from Aaron Rodgers and going to Jordan Love. Even if Jordan Love doesn't play another game, right? If Aaron Rodgers is cleared out of the protocols, Next Saturday, he's eligible to play Sunday against the Seahawks and does. If this is the only game that we see from Jordan Love with meaningful snaps, not counting garbage time, how do you sell to a fan base that sees and is watching an all-time great quarterback still play at a really high level, keep you in the Super Bowl conversation, say, you know what, guys? We're moving on. We're going to go to the this young uh, quarterback in Jordan Love. I know you saw the one game against a very bad Chiefs defense. He did not play well at all. He was inaccurate, made some poor decisions, really struggled to read the team, uh, read the defense. His accuracy at times was questionable. This is a guy who coming out of Utah State was you know, considered a project, and now he still has a long way to go in terms of development. We're going to move on from him. We're going we're gonna to roll with him. He's going to be our guy going forward. We're going to willingly give up another two or three years of Super Bowl contention to go to the young guy, get the future, make it now, and hope and pray that he is even... 50% of what Aaron Rodgers is, let alone 75 or 80% and keep you back in Super Bowl contention. That's a risk. I don't think you could settle the fans. I think you really now put yourself under the microscope and put yourself on the hot seat, to be completely honest. I don't see how you make a move, move off of Aaron Rodgers, go for a young quarterback, and if that fails in a year or two, I don't see how Brian Gutekunst is not on the hot seat or maybe even fired. I understand the, the ownership dynamic is different, the backlash, the pressure he would face from the fans for making a decision like that and having it go wrong is not a decision you come back from. This is not Ryan Pace missing on Mitch Trubisky and last year rolling with Nick Foles, this year bringing in Andy Dalton before drafting Justin Fields. This is moving on and willingly giving up on and it's still a high-level quarterback and moving on to a, a quarterback that's not very good. That still needs a lot of time to develop. And if he doesn't develop, 
setting the Packers organization back. That's a risk I'm not willing to take. I don't think the Packers should take it either. They need to do whatever it takes to keep Aaron Rodgers on the team. So I know it's only one game, but I think yesterday's performance against the Chiefs forces the Packers to blow up their future plans, forces the Packers now to do something they didn't want to do. Apologize to Aaron Rodgers, beg him to stay in Green Bay, and trade Jordan Love and just move on. Because one of the two guys are going to be off the team next year. right? That's, that's another thing, too. This is not one of those, oh, we'll keep both and we'll keep Aaron Rodgers here in 2022. I think even though Aaron Rodgers is under contract for one more year, it's one or the other. Either you're keeping Rodgers and you're extending him and he's going to finish his career in Green Bay, or you're trading him and you're going to Jordan Love. There's not enough time for the Packers to still drag this out one more year, have Aaron Rodgers return in 2022, and then you're going to play Jordan Love going into year number four, where even before you see another snap, you have to decide on the fifth year option, and you're going to have, at best, two years before you have to make a decision of whether you want to give him a big deal or not. That's not a risk I can see the Packers doing. So you have to know this offseason which direction you're going. You can't drag this out anymore. It's either Rodgers or Love. For me, after watching this weekend, it's Rodgers. 10 out of 10 times. It's really not even a discussion. It's really not even a thought. So the Packers have now, to me, make a decision where they have to apologize and do whatever it takes to keep Aaron Rodgers as a Green Bay Packer for the rest of his career. I'm curious your thoughts here. Watching yesterday's game, how much does Jordan Love's struggles impact your future decision-making when it comes to the Packers? Should the Packers give up on Jordan Love after just one game and keep Aaron Rodgers, or are you not taking too much stock out of one game? Are you still saying this is the plan, stick with the plan, and next year trade Aaron Rodgers and roll with Jordan Love? Which way are you going here? I'll have to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Should the Packers keep Aaron Rodgers? Or should they keep Jordan Love? How much does this one game yesterday impact the future of Green Bay and who will be playing quarterback for 2022 and beyond? We'll get your thoughts when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Another wacky, wild, crazy weekend in college football. Who is the biggest winner from week number 10? I'll tell you that when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 15 minutes from now, we'll circle back to the hottest, one of the best teams in the NFL, the Tennessee Titans, and them being one of the best teams in the NFL for a very surprising reason. I'll tell you what that is in 15 minutes or so from now. But we had a wild and crazy college football week number 10 that we got to get to here. Because there was, I think, a few teams and a, and a few players that were huge, huge winners from the first weekend in November. And some big losers as well. So let's get into winners and losers from college football week number 10. A big winner, I thought, the Michigan Wolverines. The path now to the playoff for Michigan opened up big time for them after Michigan State lost. Because now, after you lose to Michigan State last week, they needed the Spartans to lose two times to kind of get that tiebreaker and get ahead of the Spartans in order to get a trip to the Big Ten title game in, in, in Indianapolis and keep their playoff hopes alive. Well, Purdue opened that door. 
The Boilermakers beating the Spartans now is a huge, huge boost for Michigan. Because now, you, you assume, you hope for really one of the, the rare times ever. Where if you're a Michigan fan, you are rooting for Ohio State in two weeks. You need the Buckeyes to beat the Spartans. Give them that second loss. And as long as you beat Penn State this week, take care of business next week, that Ohio State-Michigan game will determine who is going to the Big Ten title game. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Now, do I think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State? I don't. With that said, though, this is the year for Michigan. You watch Ohio State again. They look, eh. They didn't really play that great against Nebraska. CJ Stroud was okay. The defense, I think, still showed you that they are really not fixed, despite the fact they made a few coordinator changes and changed things around. They're still kind of a team that was very flawed early on in the year against Oregon. When they go against good competition, this Buckeye team is in danger more than they have been in recent years. So this is going to be the year for Michigan. If they're ever going to do so, it's this week. It's this year. But now they got a gift from Purdue. They got the break they needed in order for the path to Indy to open up. And as long as Ohio State takes care of business, Michigan, Ohio State, the last Saturday in November, will determine who goes to the Big Ten title game. Your team you're playing in the West is, to me, is still weaker than a team, any team you're playing in the East. And the winner of that game will go to the playoff. Michigan's chances now, the playoff has opened up more than they really need. Well, as much as they needed to, I should say, after losing to the to Spartans, uh, the Spartans last weekend. Another big winner whose path seemingly to the college playoff and to a really a national title got even easier. Georgia. It's amazing how every single week we see top te- uh, top 10 teams fall, struggle. Have close calls. Even if they win, it's ugly. You know, they're sweated out, and they're kind of lucky to get out of whatever game they're playing alive with the win. Every team has, has been through that multiple times this season, except for Georgia. It's unbelievable. I know Mizzou didn't have their starting quarterback, but let's be honest. Would it really have mattered uh, on Saturday? Georgia wins 43-6. to the defense has continued to dominate all season long. They've only allowed the most points they've allowed this season is 13. 13 points is the most any team has scored on Georgia all season long. It's only happened twice. Think about that. That's insanity. Nine games they have played. Only two teams have reached the 13-point threshold. That's insanity. That's dominance for you right there. So now you look at their schedule. They play Tennessee this week. Tennessee is really the only team left before you play Alabama in the SEC title game that even has a prayer, has a shot of not upsetting Georgia, keeping it close, but just scoring more than 14 points. Like, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're talking about when it comes to playing Georgia. Can a team score two touchdowns? Well, the team with the best shot to do that right now is Tennessee. I'm not even telling you this game is going to be close. The only thing I'm really watching for is is Tennessee's offense, can they even get anything going here? Can they show you any sort of life? Because so far, no team on offense has been able to show you anything when are going against that Georgia defense. But they are the only team this season that has cruised through the regular season without a, a blip on the radar. And again, when you look around the rest of college football, we have Alabama sweating a game out against LSU at home, winning by six. When you have Cincinnati, another close call for them. When you have Oregon on the road again against Washington playing a pretty close game for most of the game. 
when you have Ohio State struggling with Nebraska, Michigan State losing, the path is there. The path is open for, for Georgia here. This seemingly, like this is, we're talking about Michigan. If we're not going to beat Ohio State this year, it may never happen because this is the year the Buckeyes are most gettable. Georgia, if you can win a national title this year, may as well just pack it up because I don't think you're never going to win a title. This is the year. Everything is opening up for the Georgia Bulldogs to win the national championship. Alabama struggling, Cincinnati struggling, the Big Ten is struggling, Oklahoma has not looked dynamic at really for the most part of this season. This should be a Georgia national title. Anything else is a failure, an absolute failure. So they're the big winner because yet again they cruise and yet again everyone else below them struggles. Good to be a Bulldogs fan this year, that is for sure. Two players I thought were huge winners from Week 10. And that's two receivers, and I think two receivers that helped their draft stock in a tremendous way. That's David Bell of Purdue, Jahan Dotson of Penn State. Because you look at this receiver class, it's another loaded year receivers. You have Drake London from USC, who before got hurt is having a tremendous season. You knew the two receivers coming in from Ohio State and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, two of their best receivers in the country. There's a lot of good receivers. There's a lot of depth, of course, again, in college football when it comes to the receiver position. But I think David Bell and David, uh, Jahan Dotson, two guys that, okay, they were borderline, I think, first-rounders coming in here, coming into the season, I think are cementing themselves to be the first two receivers taken off the board when the NFL draft comes around later on next year. Because you look at David Bell, yet again, another game on Saturday where he saves the best game for the biggest competition. Against number three, Michigan State at home. 11 catches on Saturday. 217 yards and a touchdown. Huge game against Michigan State. But that's not the only time he showed up. On the road at number two, Iowa, a month ago. 11 catches for David Bell again. 240 yards and another score. Out of the eight games he's played in so far this year, five of them he's gone for over 100 yards and already over 1,000 yards receiving just the eight games he's played in. 1,003 yards, sixth in college football in terms of receiving yards a season. He has been an absolute stud. Purdue's best receiver by far. Everyone knows where the ball is going, and teams are still unable to slow him down and stop him. David Bell has been amazing for Purdue this year. And again, he has saved the biggest games of his season when they play the best competition. David Bell's been unreal. And Jahan Dotson, the same thing. You watch Saturday's game. He was the sole reason Penn State got by Maryland, dominated that game. It was really the only thing going for the offense. 11 catches for Jahan Dotson, 242 yards, a Penn State single season receiving record or single game receiving record, three touchdowns. Scored all three offensive touchdowns for the Nittany Lions. He's an incredible right runner, has great hands. He really is the full package at receiver. Play inside, play outside. He's athletic. He can, you know, he's great with the ball after the catch. Super reliable. Gets open. Fast. Strong. John Dotson and David Bell coming in again. Not that they were under the radar. There are two receivers that were still, you know, you had to pay attention to, and they were really good coming in the year. You knew they were going to have good seasons. But to me, they have played themselves into being the top two receivers taken off the board when the draft comes next year. They have been tremendous. Two big winners for them in week number 10. And finally here, we'll go off the field for this last winner. 
the, the arguably the biggest winner of the weekend was not all Misses football team beating Hugh Freeze, their former head coach. Not all Misses football team again now getting college game day into town with that win and welcoming in uh, Texas A&M. They're the big winner because their social media team, Ole Miss's Twitter, absolutely won the weekend with some of their troll jobs they had of Hugh Freeze. They put two tweets. Now, I will say this. Of course, because it's 2021 and no fun is allowed. They put two tweets trolling Hugh Freeze from his time at Ole Miss, and they were deleted. A lot of backlash, but it was, well, a lot of backlash of people that really should have some fun with it. But unfortunately, the Ole Miss social media team, before the posts were deleted, absolutely crushed the troll job. They posted, or at least their final game tweet, mimicked the exact tweet. If you remember going back to when Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, there was all these first recruiting allegations against Hugh Freeze. When he's with the cell phone, and he's contacting strip clubs to in order to help recruits. He put a tweet out there saying, if you have any complaints... File it to compliance. If not, don't slander our players with some of these false rumors. When he was on the offense or on the offensive to defend his program and basically make it seem like the allegations of recruiting were not true. As we know, they were true. He was fired. So they posted their final game tweet, that exact word-for-word verbatim tweet that Hugh Freeze sent about seven or eight years ago. And then later on, they say, we got the job done, thumbs up, and use the picture of that infamous Hugh Freeze when he's at Liberty coaching from the hospital bed in the press box. And after the game, because he obviously wasn't on the field, Dino Babers gave him a thumbs up, and he gave a thumbs up back down in the field to, to Dino Babers. And Ole Miss took that picture, put the final score of the game from the Ole Miss Liberty game uh, there in, in the corner, and basically said, job well done, good job. Too funny. Now, it's really a shame that, again, the backlash they got in and people freaking out about those tweets, calling it classless and other things that had to be deleted. But let's just let's say this. That is what social media should be about. There's a lot of harmful, you know, a lot of vitriol on social media, a lot of hate on Twitter especially. Trust us. But it should be fun. You should have fun time when you're winning games. Like, I love that stuff when teams are trolling other teams, using memes. Like, when you win... It absolutely should be all about the fun. So it, it's sad they had to delete it, but tremendous job by Ole Miss's Twitter to have some fun, to put some uh, trolling out there for their former head coach. And let's just let the kids have fun. Let's not freak out and say everything has to be, you know, be all serious and all these schools and all these official Twitter accounts have to be very proper, tweet the final score, and put no emotion, put no personality to their Twitter accounts. Personality wins. Let them have personality. So those are all winners. John Dotson and David Bell, the Ole Miss Twitter account, Georgia and Michigan. I thought there were two losers coming out of week number 10 in college football. Number one is Cincinnati. <laughs> Cincinnati hangs on to beat three-win Tulsa 28-20. I'll say this. Cincinnati, with how the committee has viewed them, Cincinnati's going to be lucky if they're in the top 25 this upcoming rankings. And like I say that kind of half-jokingly, half-serious. Because you saw through the first nine weeks of how they played, and I thought deserving, well-deserving, of being the top four, they were ranked sixth by the committee. And a big reason for that was the committee saying, oh, they played two lane too close. And they, they were you know had a close call against Navy, two bad teams. They should have been blowing these teams out. And now to follow that up with 
playing a three-win Tulsa team at home. And not only to win 28-20, they needed to hold on for dear life. I'm sure not a lot of you are watching this game, because why would you? You had Michigan State-Purdue on uh, during that time. You had Auburn, Texas A&M on at that time. A lot of other better matchups, more exciting games than Tulsa-Cincinnati. I understand it. But in case you missed Cincinnati needed basically a goal line stand where it was fourth down. They, uh, Tulsa could have got a first down at the one-yard line. They throw the ball. Cincinnati makes a great stop at their own goal line, tackles the, tackles the receiver basically a half yard from the first down line, which is at the one-yard line of Cincinnati. So they get the stop on fourth down. There's about a minute and a half left, if that. All Cincinnati has to do is just hold on to the ball, take a few knees, and the game's over. Because they're backed up on their goal line, you can't take a knee to safety. So they tried to QB stick with Desmond Ritter first down. Ritter fumbles the football, recovered by Tulsa, like the four-yard line. So you just got a, you know, a big fourth down stop at your own one-yard line. The quarterback on the very next play fumbles the ball, recovered by Tulsa. And they needed yet another goal line stand to win the game. Now, credit to Cincinnati, they got it done. Four plays, zero points for Tulsa. They do hold on. They do get the win, 28-20. But my goodness, again, the committee already hates Cincinnati. They already don't respect him enough as it is. But now to beat a three-win team at home and almost cough the game up. Trey, you need your defense to bail you out basically eight times in a row down by your own goal line. To hang on for dear life, they are going to drop precipitously. And I'll be honest with you, I will be shocked if they're in the top 10. Dead serious. I'm half joking saying they'll be lucky to be in the top 25. I would, I'll tell you right now, my prediction is going to be 11. I bet you they will be ranked 11th because this committee has zero respect for Cincinnati. And even though every other team this week played close games or lost, Alabama beat LSU by one score. Michigan State lost to unranked Purdue. Oregon won, but it was still a close game for for three quarters. Ohio, uh, Ohio State struggled with Nebraska. A lot of teams played down to their competition. But you watch. Cincinnati is going to be the one team punished more than any other team. I can promise you now. I see the rankings coming tomorrow night, and I can see Cincinnati dropping big time. Speaking of dropping, the final loser, I thought, from week number 10 in college football is the ACC. The ACC conference as a whole was a big loser because the one reason to keep on paying attention, the one reason to keep on watching that conference, which has just been atrocious this year, hasn't Wake Forest. This has been a really fun team week for us. A very surprising start to the year. 8-0, top 10 ranking for the first time in school history. They were the last team in college football to not be ranked in the top 10 at any point in their career, uh, in their history. And that changed this week. Wake is in the top 10, big accomplishment, and then they go lose to North Carolina. An incredible game, a fun back-and-forth game, high-scoring shootout. But Wake blows an 18-point lead in the second half. Do lose to the Tar Heels. And now, not that they got a lot of respect to begin with, not that was really even a thought for Wake Forest to make the playoff because their, their strength of schedule is so weak, that even if they went 13-0, they really needed a ton, a ton of help to get in. Like, I think it's so bad. I think Cincinnati would have been in the playoff ahead of Wake Forest. That's how bad their strength of schedule would have been, and that's how I think the committee views it. But now you lose to North Carolina, season's over. Like, they're, they're Wake's not, season's not over. They could still win the ACC. That's a huge accomplishment for them. Go to New York Six Bowl. That's huge for Wake Forest in their history, right? Because they have really rarely been there before. 
when it comes to the ACC and, and paying attention now, because what we do in the playoff, now all we do is pay attention to the cultural playoff rankings and who's in the playoff, who's not. We watch the teams that are in contention. No team is in contention now in the ACC nationally, and that conference now goes to the side. They've been in the spotlight for a ton because of Clemson. You know, Clemson's having a very, very down year, to say the least. And now the one darling, the one Cinderella, that didn't have a shot, but, you know, always kind of, eh, maybe, who knows, sort of thing from Wake Forest. Now that fun story, that fun fairy tale, has come to a close with their loss to North Carolina. So Cincinnati, big loser. They're going to drop in the rankings, and so is the ACC. We return here on the Ryan Hickey Show to wrap it up here on a Monday morning. The Tennessee Titans. They're the best team in football. They're not to me, but they are a Super Bowl contender for a reason that I did not see coming. We'll give them credit when we, we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, going for a few minutes to the top of the hour right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on a Monday after week nine in the NFL. And the Tennessee Titans deserve a ton of praise, a ton of credit for what they have been able to accomplish, not just yesterday, not just last night in beating the Rams, moving to now 6-2 and two on the or 7-2, excuse me, on the season. They also deserve a ton of credit for how they're doing so. Like, they are firmly in the, in the middle of the Super Bowl conversation, a place they weren't in even a week ago after the Derrick Henry news. The reason they're back in there, the reason they are have as good a shot as anyone in the AFC to go to the Super Bowl is not because of Derrick Henry. It's not because of Ryan Tannehill or Julio Jones or A.J. Brown or even Mike Vrabel. It's because their defense. Now, you can credit Mike Vrabel for that, sure. But it's their defense. Tennessee, the Tennessee defense is the biggest reason why they are Super Bowl contenders this year. It's because they're not elite, right? They're not really great at anything. They're 19th in total defense. Their pass defense has struggled. They're allowing 23.4 points per game. So they are not a lockdown, shutdown defense. But the one thing they've done consistently all season long is make the timely stop, get a huge turnover, and make the big play that changes the game every single week. That's what they did last night against the Rams. That's what they've done all season long. Those back-to-back picks by Matthew Stafford, one that gave the Titans a first and goal opportunity that turned into seven points, the next pass he threw, pick six, back to the house. That game has changed in a second. Goes from 3-0 Rams to 14-3 Titans just like that. And the Titans defense all game long confused Matthew Stafford, limited the offense, and basically, you know, excluding garbage time at the end, held them to three field goals all game long. Boom. It wasn't just what they did against the Rams. They got a big pick six late in the game against the Colts. They gave them the lead before Carson Wentz came down and tied it. Then in overtime, they get the stop against the Colts, get a pick from Carson Wentz deep in you know Indy's end that leads to the game-winning field goal. they able to limit the Chiefs' offense just three points the week before that. And against Buffalo, they lost 31 points. They got toasted by Josh Allen in that Bills uh, offense, but 
when the game was on the line, fourth and one, sure, maybe Josh Allen slipped a little bit, but the, the Titans got pressure, pushed the line back a little bit, and got the stop to win the game. Their defense, whether it's against the Rams, the Colts, the Chiefs, or the Bills, was the biggest reason why they are 4-0 out of that stretch. A 4-0 stretch that not many teams, if any team, could say that they will go through that four-game stretch unscathed. So it's Tennessee's defense all season long that has been getting the stops and been the biggest reason why they are now 7-2 and squarely and firmly in the Super Bowl conversation despite not having the most important player on their team in Derrick Henry, the MVP of their team in Derrick Henry, and their offense. Right, Derrick Henry is the Titans' offense. And despite him missing time now for the rest of the regular season, we at least believe, if not the rest of the season, this Tennessee defense has continued to step up and continue to show you it's not all Derrick Henry. So much credit goes to Tennessee for how their defense has consistently stepped up every single game to make the big play. Because also, let's not forget, it's not, it's not a knock on them, this is just reality. They're not a very talented defense part of that's you know just the way they've drafted part it's also injuries their secondary is decimated they have a few guys on ir a few guys trying to work their way back from injury and they are still even though they're playing with second and even in some cases third string players especially in the secondary they're still making plays to win the game they are still stepping up and limiting some of these high-powered offenses that we have seen and even when they're getting torched, even when other offenses are having success, they're still disciplined enough to make the one play that changes the game around. So credit to Tennessee. Because last week, right, we were right here one week ago when the news broke about Derrick Henry having a broken bone in his foot and being out for potentially the rest of the year, most likely at least the rest of the regular season. And I said it, a lot of people said, I think we're all right. Tennessee's season is done. They'll win the division. They'll win the AFC South. They'll get to the playoffs because the lead they built up was just too big over the Colts. So even though they have no Derrick Henry, they'll still win. But no one had them as Super Bowl contenders. No one put them in the same category as the Bills and the Chargers and the Ravens and any other team that you want to put in there. But Tennessee said, screw you guys, we'll still win games. Derrick Henry's not only, you know, he's not the only reason why we're winning games. And the defense, yet again, on the national stage showed you how important they have been to this team this year. So I was wrong. I thought this was a, a Tennessee team that was led by Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry alone. With him coming out of the lineup, I thought this team would just have the wheels fall off. I didn't think Ryan Tano would be as good, and he didn't really play a great game yesterday. Wasn't helped out by A.J. Brown dropping a few passes, but I just thought this whole entire team would take a massive step back without the most important player, one of the best players in football, being out of the lineup for at least the rest of the regular season and potentially the rest of the season. Credit Tennessee, a huge, huge victory last night over the Rams. They are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. So I want to throw one quick uh, question here because C.J. DeSimone, a tremendously talented host. So hopefully his name better sound familiar, host of the Weapons Hot Show right here on the Worldwide Sports. And Eric does a great job covering all things New York Jets. So make sure you check out that show. Of course, same, all the same platforms right here on the Worldwide Sports. And Eric, he does write it on Facebook. Do you think the Jets should start Mike White at quarterback against the Bills? Or if Zach Wilson is healthy, does he get the nod to start? 
I think, honestly, the Jets are still going to go back to Mike White. I think so far in the game plus that he has played as a starter here for the Jets, where he had a few drives against the Colts, and before that, the, the big game against the Bengals, I think Robert Sala told you in the post-game press conference against the Bengals, basically, hey, it's if Mike White continues to play well, we're not going to sit him down. He has the chance, he has the opportunity to kind of basically play his way into the lineup. So even though he got hurt, even though Zach Wilson is progressing, I still think, you know, you give Mike White one more shot here. Have him go up against, go up against a very good Buffalo defense. And have Zach Wilson get to the point where rehab-wise, he is truly back to 100%. You want to rush him back out there. Especially when he sees how well Mike White is playing. That almost kind of drives you to get back out there sooner because you're going to say, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm still the quarterback of this team. This is still my team. You don't want someone in coming, you know, coming over and playing better than you. So it's just you know, the, the competitive spirit. When you see someone playing well, to want to rush back and show that, hey, I'm still a good player here. But I think it's imperative for the Jets to, one, make sure his knee is 100%. Because this is your future, right? Mike White has been playing fine. Does anyone think it's going to, you know, hold up or will he be the next Tom Brady? No. But right now, he has the hot hand. He's playing well. And for you, Zach Will, uh, if you're the Jets, I think Zach Wilson kind of sitting on the sidelines for a little bit does him some good. Like, you saw how this offense, and you see the difference when Mike White is running the offense, with jo- when Josh Johnson is running the offense, compared to when Zach Wilson is running the offense. Mike White, Josh Johnson, they, scan, they stay on schedule. They run a West Coast, quick-throwing, get the ball to your hands, quick-read, West Coast offense that Mike LaFleur wants to run. Zach Wilson is more of a big play threat. More of a, oh, let's just kind of draw to the dirt and let's run around. He'll run around the pocket, look to find someone deep, and kind of throw the ball on the run. And make plays happen. He has played outside of the structure of the offense. And I do think kind of sitting back, seeing things from a different perspective, kind of going, you know, seeing things from 10,000 feet. Even for just one or two more games. I think we'll do Zach Wilson a lot of good here. So for two reasons. One, to make sure the health is there for Zach Wilson. Well, really three things. With his knee, I give him an extra week just, just to be safe. Number two, Mike White is a hot hand. Let him continue to play. See how long you can string this out for. And number three, let Zach Wilson, I do think kind of having him sit back and watch will do him some good. We'll give him a new perspective that can help him bring kind of and see the game from a different angle to where he can bring that and be better once he does return the line. He will play again for the Jets this year. That's a guarantee. I'll just wait an extra week or two. So we appreciate CJ writing in on Facebook. We appreciate CJ listening. And make sure, you, again, you check him out, Weapons Hot, right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. That will do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here with you on this Monday morning. Thank you. All of you who tuned in, who made us a or started your week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Network, we will be back on Thursday morning. So make sure you're liking us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. You're following us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Like us on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network. You can always stay up to date with all the latest shows, all the latest content that is constantly being produced right here on the network. I do want to give one quick shout before I forget here. I can't believe I went through the whole show without saying this. Shout out and congratulations to my guy, Tyler Kolakowski. Did run the New York City Marathon yesterday, ran it in four hours and 21 minutes. I was there with a few of my other friends cheering him on. An incredible, incredible atmosphere. I don't know about you, never been to the marathon myself. This is the first time yesterday actually being there, cheering the runners on, seeing it in person. It's awesome. It is so cool see everyone pushing through towards the end of the race, like mile 23, mile 24. So really the kind of the last home stretch you see. Some runners just barely push it through. Others are, are having a lot of juice, a lot of energy. Kroll was, was tremendous. 
We saw him using good spirits, which is amazing considering how far he's ran before that. So awesome, awesome day for him. Congratulations. Crushing his first ever New York City Marathon and running and raising a lot of money in the process to do so. So shout out to him. Congrats to my guy, Kroll. Killed it yesterday. Absolutely killed it. Congrats to all the runners as well. An awesome, perfect day for the marathon. So that'll do it again for this edition of the Ryan Show. We'll talk to you on Thursday. So everyone stay safe, stay sane. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.